welcome to the Magnifying Podcast, where we take a closer look into those hot political topics that span from the national and the state level that affect you through the lens of Gen Z. I am your host, Elena Moore, and with me today is my co-host, Liam Ford. Thank you for joining us in our inaugural episode, Who Done It in Hawaii? Liam, can you lay out some of the basics of what we know so far? Obviously, uh, Hawaii's been, you know, the story of the globe that everybody's been talking about for the last last seven days. So with that you co- comes a lot of facts, but a lot of fiction as well. My friend was actually out in Hawaii uh, on a family vacation when this whole thing went down. And on Monday and Tuesday of last week, right when the fire fires were kicking off, uh, he was he was telling me pretty much what uh, the mainstream media is reporting right now, which is power lines down uh, and 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 fires starting to push towards the the more populated areas of the island. The problem is that within the week from him telling me that, and obviously you know he got out safely for those wondering, um, but from a week ago to now. Now the conversation is including things like uh, direct energy weapons or a laser from space being used to start the fire to push the agenda of, of global interests or, or you know the rich and the wealthy. So the story has moved a lot in the last in the last week. So what do we know? Uh, the first thing is that the mainstream media is reporting that the most likely cause, of, of these fires being started was was down power lines. And the reason they spread so quickly was because of a unique weather situation that surrounded Maui at the time. Um, I don't like the reporting of the Washington Post on, on, on average, but I will give them credit for, for covering this story somewhat accurately. Uh, they have, they've laid out accurately that there's a category four hurricane to the south of the island and a high pressure system uh, to the north. What that does is it creates a very strong wind over the island. So whenever any fire gets started, regardless of how it gets started, any fire that does get started on the island would have been pushed at 50, 60 miles an hour. And we can see this in videos from the winds just blowing really, really quickly over the surface of the island, Mm -hmm. which made evacuating, even under the best of circumstances, really, really difficult. The question is, though, that you have all of these other pieces of information that people are digging up. Uh, Oprah Winfrey and a bunch of other very famous, very wealthy people own a lot of land um, on Hawaii. The sheriff uh, from Las Vegas who oversaw the incident command for the most the deadliest mass shooting in U.S. history in Las Vegas, as I'm sure everybody remembers, just five or six years ago, is now the sheriff in Maui. And so you have all of these different factors that people are piecing together and starting to wonder, is there more to the story in Maui? Is there something that we're not being told? Is there an agenda being pushed here? Who stands to gain from this tragedy? Because at the end of the day, regardless of how devastating a tragedy is, there's always going to be somebody who comes out on top of it. There's going to be some entity or individual or group that benefits from that tragedy. The question is, in the coming days, weeks, and months, who is that going to be? That's a great question because it's hard to trust anything that comes out these days. And so obviously there's going to be a lot of questions. I have had a ton of questions. And when I saw that the police chief in Maui had those connections um, as the uh, managing the incident in Las Vegas in 2017, where I believe almost 60 people 
uh, died. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's a huge piece right there. It makes you wonder, okay, what is really going on? Is there an investigation even going on? It's 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 just really worrying. But then we see in the week following all of this this tragedy that Congress decided to send two hundred million dollars again to Ukraine. And so far, Congress has been completely silent about the tragedy that has been ha- that has happened in Maui. I mean, how are we supposed to even um, know that we have somebody that's looking out for us when the only way to get, it seems, U.S. dollars is if you're a different country? It doesn't matter, you know, if an incident happens within the U.S. You're not going to receive anything, or at least you're not going to get the headlines that another country on the other side of the world gets. Yeah, I mean, it, it goes back about six months ago now, almost exactly six months ago, I believe, uh, the train derailment in East Palestine. And, and people were making jokes back then that, you know, East Palestine is identifying as a city in Ukraine so that Congress will send it aid. Uh, and, yeah. and, and that's the truth, is that the Congress and this administration in particular seems way more likely to give you money, to give you aid, to pay attention to the needs of you and your people if you're not a U.S. taxpaying citizen. Um, I don't know if you saw the video that just came out of Biden as he left his, what, 400th vacation day during his first term on the beach, and the media was asking him to comment on the rising death toll, and his only response was no comment. And so it's just become a pattern with this administration whether it's you know East Palestine, whether it's the transportation crisis hitting airlines, uh, or now Maui, it just seems that one crisis after another, as long as it's affecting U.S. citizens, this administration could not care less. And you know another thing that I find really interesting about the fa- uh, fires in Hawaii is the people who own land there. We see that Oprah mm-hmm. Winfrey owns almost. 2,000 acres, um, it, it kind of in the same vicinity. And then we have Bezos has a house, the Obamas have a house. They seem to come out of this whole incident unscathed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and not only that, but also the residents, you know, the natives of Hawaii, they don't, they don't have the money that these billionaires and very wealthy people have to recover from something like this. And so regardless of whether or not you think that there's going to be a push, uh, as the World Economic Forum has alluded to, of trying to turn Maui into uh, a smart city or the first smart island, or if you think there's going to be some other global push here, even if you even if you don't consider that a possibility, you do have to be concerned just for the natives' ability to continue to inhabit the land that they had before this fire, because they're not going to have the vast economic resources that some of their neighbors have, like Oprah Winfrey, as you said, like Obama, uh, like like Jeff Bezos. So even if you don't consider this to be a conspiracy, there's still a really big concern that the natives are going to be pushed out now since they're going to be so uh, hard up for cash now that everything that they own has been burnt to a crisp by this fire, uh, that there's going to be a real real problem of, of displacement while following this fire, which again, which is why I alluded to earlier, who's going to benefit from this? Again, it may not be the World mm-hmm. Economic Forum. It not might not be uh, a global initiative, but it could be billionaires just taking more and more land and kind of gr- mm-hmm. cash grabbing uh, from this tragedy and using it to enrich themselves even further, which would be just as evil. Absolutely, and we have seen it. I would not put that past them 
at all. And it's interesting about the smart cities because we have been seeing the push for that, especially in the Biden administration, but even before that, where they want to make these 15-minute drive-through cities that are equipped with smart meters, which they've already put on a lot of houses I know of in South Carolina. The only way you can get out of them from putting a smart meter on your house is a doctor's note, basically a health waiver, and you have to stay on the power company because they continue to go out wanting to put them on. We see that Myrtle Beach right now, they're looking to make a smart city Greenville. They've been working to do that. We've been seeing it all over the nation, but I think it is highly interesting that they had set during this summer, so summer of 2023, they announced that there would be a digital government summit to bring technology-focused public, se- uh, public sector professionals um, in Maui on September the 25th. That's when it would kick off. I wonder if that's just a coincidence and whether or not that's going to still kick off. Yeah, it's definitely something to watch. Uh, you know, it reminds me of the the famous quote, never let a good crisis go to waste. Uh, Rahm Emanuel said that, which ironically enough, uh, was one of Obama's mentors. So, you know, all the pieces starting to fit together there. Um, but yeah, you're definitely going to see some people try and push their personal interests through uh, this initiative. And I'll be curious to see if a digital government summit offers maybe some promise to protect people from this or a tragedy like this from happening again in Maui. Because uh, that seems to be the MO, is that once something terrible happens, uh, the government steps in and provides a solution, which is always very convenient for whatever initiative they're trying to push at the time. Isn't that something Ronald Reagan said, that um, if the government shows up and says, oh, we're the government, we're here to help, it's some of the most concerning words. Yes. <laughs> yes, that's exact, exactly what he said. Yeah. So, well, that's something we will definitely be keeping an eye on. But as we shift our focus from the blazing landscapes of Maui, we turn to another story of intense heat. This time, not from nature, but from the spotlight of the public scrutiny. From the smoky trails of the islands to the bustling factory floors of South Carolina, where the promise of green future is under the question. And we're seeing this specifically in the electric vehicle initiative. And Proterra, which is a bus electric vehicle company, who recently on August 7th filed Chapter 11 bankruptcy. And... Um, it was actually reported by Electric after the New York Stock Exchange bell rang on that Monday evening on August 7th. Proterra very quietly and voluntarily filed for Chapter 11 and declared its assets and liabilities somewhere in the range of $500 million to $1 billion. Uh, per the Reuters report, the company had a market value of $362 million as of Monday's close, but its shares nearly halved in value uh, following the news. Transport Topics reported that the California-based company was awarded a $10 million loan from the Paycheck Protection Program, or as we know, the PPP, in 2020 that was forgiven in May of 2022, according to the company filing in August 9th. This is something that a lot of people are looking at, especially in South Carolina, 
because Proterra was put at, uh, really above everything else with the Biden initiative of saying, oh, you know, we have to have electric vehicles. So they kept propping up Proterra. And Republican Governor of South Carolina, Henry McMaster, announced in October of 2022 his electric vehicle initiative. So let's take a look real quick of where Proterra actually is in South Carolina. It is mostly in the upstate. They have a uh, bus facility, um, a manufacturing in Greenville, and they also have a headquarters and uh, factory in Greer, South Carolina. They even, um, their buses, their electric buses, uh, is used in the uh, Clemson area transit system and in many other places as well. That's just really one confirmed report. Um, But what we're seeing is that these COVID relief aids came on top of other federal government incentives and support for the electric bus industry and more uh, broadly, as well as repeated shout outs for the company from Biden. And that was, you know, reported by Breitbart. It's, uh, they were widely expected to benefit from the new demand for electric buses that were fostered in a lot of infrastructure bills and climate change laws, um, including more than a $5 billion earmarked for replacing existing buses with zero emission models and new tax credits for battery and clean vehicle ma- manufacturing. Oh, look at that. You have any thoughts on that? Share us uh, with what you're thinking, Liam. Yeah, I mean... And again, this isn't just a, a local to to South Carolina. This company is, is nationwide in its in its reach. It's received uh, hundreds of millions of dollars um, from the federal government in grants and PPP loans, as you as you alluded to, in, in earmarks from Congress and everything in between. Uh, and it really just follows a long line of electric vehicle or green energy uh, scams that the government and corporations run in order to further their own again self interest. Uh, Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm actually sat on the board and held stock, which garnered her $1.6 million when she divested them over 150 days after she was nominated for the position of Energy Secretary. Um, Both Granholm and Vice President uh, Kamala Harris stood in front of these buses uh, that were produced by Proterra in New York whenever they awarded $127 million in grants from the Department of Energy for electric vehicle production. It's reported by Breitbart that over 60% of that $127 million found its way into Proterra-linked companies. And again, Proterra is not the only one that's done this. Going back to by, uh, to, excuse me, going back to the Obama administration, there was actually a solar panel manufacturing company out of the Northwest that received millions of dollars from his administration, which turned around and donated to his reelection campaign fund, and then just like Proterra, declared uh, Chapter 11 bankruptcy. And it's not just, uh, you know, an isolated incident. You see, uh, for the last decade or so, green energy has been one of the hot-button issues that both companies and governments have used to basically launder money for themselves. And so it's not to help the companies, it's not to help, it's not to help the companies, excuse me, produce something that the consumers want. It's really only to help uh, a vicious cycle where one hand feeds the other. And that's really sad to see because nothing's actually being done to help produce anything with all of this taxpayer money that's being spent. None of it's actually benefiting the taxpayer. It's not. And, you know, the taxpayer is the one that's paying for it, as we've seen with multiple um, EV plants that have moved into South Carolina almost all 
all of them exclusively being foreign companies. Uh, we've got, uh, you know, we've got uh, one that I believe is either South Korean or Vietnamese in Allendale to do smart tires. Scout Motors has been a very hot topic, something that I've been digging a lot into, um, that set up shop in Blythewood, South Carolina, where the legislators passed a bill to not only give them a few billion in incentives, but to give them $400 million in cash just straight to Scout Motors, which, by the way, Scout Motors is a um, subsidiary of Volkswagen. And this money, I mean, they can really do whatever they want to it, but how, where that money come from? It all came from the taxpayers. And I can't tell you one redneck in South Carolina that is going to say, ah, oh, let me go and buy an electric truck or a Sahara desert vehicle. Cause that's what they're building. It's not just a bunch of cars. And mm-hmm. I, I don't really see how it's going to work specifically, but what we're also seeing that there's no regulations on it. I mean, we see that in the contract for Scout Motors, all of the Republicans and Democrats, because it was such a bipartisan effort, all of this seems to be a bipartisan effort. They said, oh, you're going to get 4,000 jobs out of it. Oh, Scout Motors is going to create 4,000 jobs. The legislators didn't even get the contract to look at. It was forced through in less than nine days. They had no idea. I have never seen, you know, gridlock doesn't exist when the Congress or the legislators and General Assembly don't want it to exist because I have never seen anything pass so quickly in my life. But in there, it said that 4,000 jobs. And so once I started going to the town halls, I started finding out that, oh, who's actually going to be taking those jobs for all of these plants that are popping up around South Carolina? It's going to be the foreign workers. They're all coming in. They said, oh, get ready because your housing, the housing market's getting ready to skyrocket. Your house is going to be worth so much money because the Germans are moving in or the Vietnamese are moving in or the Chinese are moving in because they're going to work these jobs. Come to find out the contract just says that Scout Motors is going to produce 400 direct jobs and possibly 36 auxiliary jobs. We've seen multiple breaks in the contract and the more we find out about it, the worse it gets. But okay, what's actually happening with these companies? Are they being regulated? It doesn't seem like it. It kind of seems like pockets are just being lined by the legislators and by um, town council, county council individuals who help bring them in and are giving the property to them. We also see a a lot of just, um, uh, one thing that I've been telling a lot of people is, hey, you have got to watch this Dark Waters documentary. Um, There's a movie that was produced in 2019. I recommend everybody watch it. It is based off of um, forever chemicals. And that's something we've been hearing a lot about. Well, it sounds like it's, oh, it's only coming from one chemicals, uh, chemical plant. But really, you have to look at it in the broad scheme of things. People have been in litigation for these forever chemicals that a farmer had to figure out because it was killing him all of his cows and it was poisoning the entire community in their water system and through their soil because of this plant and to this they have been in litigation since the early 2000s to this day these chemicals are still unregulated they're not there it's all self-regulated by these companies so it makes me wonder okay we don't really know much about electric vehicle companies what is actually coming out of them where it's going we know that it's highly toxic to the air pollution 
that, you know, there may be, we don't really know, okay, what's going to come out with the water system, but we see that we've all been poisoned by these forever chemicals that have been a thing for decades. What What's going to happen with this? I mean, that's what I have a lot of questions about. Yeah, I mean, you make a lot of good points there. Uh, going back to one you made early there, there's no demand for these products. Uh, you know, there's no interest in it. And so, you know, it raises the question, why is so much money being pushed into these electric vehicles? Um, and it's something that we've never really been given a good answer to. And it's something we'll probably, you know, never really get an answer to because, as you said, there's no oversight. There's no regulation of these companies because they're working hand-in-hand hand with the government. And so the only people who are left in the dark here are the people, the constituents, the voters, the consumers, the people who actually should know what's going on, the people who companies and governments both should be working for are now being frozen out of the decision-making process. Companies no longer care if they're making a product that people actually want because they're not making money from that product being sold in the market. They're making money from the government giving them grants and PPP loans and everything else to make the product. They don't care how good it is. They don't care what damage it does to mm -hmm. the environment as long as those legislators can go and say at some meeting or some committee that they helped facilitate some green energy policy, some electric vehicle manufacturing plan or anything else, that's all they care about. And the companies don't care that they're not selling any of their products because they already got paid. They got paid before they even produced the product. And so whenever you look at the environmental impact of these cars, everybody knows that from cobalt mining all through their very short life expectancy, uh, through being left to rot in an abandoned field or in an abandoned parking lot, these cars are not desired. They're not well made. They're not economic. They're not environmentally friendly. They're not economically friendly. And so you're left wondering, what is the point of all of this? Well, unfortunately, it's only to make the government, the government employees, the legislators, etc., and the company's executives more money. Mm -hmm. They don't care about the impact it has on the environment. They don't care about the impact it has on the local constituents who have to live with these forever chemicals and the chemical runoff that these manufacturing plants produce. They don't care about any of that because at the end of the day, they're getting paid millions or billions of dollars from the government just to produce these toxic uh, products in, in our communities. And the problem is that as you said, there's no regulation of this. So the only way for us to do anything about it is for individuals to stand up and individu individuals to investigate what's actually happening here. Just like that farmer who was responsible for going and figuring out how these companies were poisoning himself and his, pro his crops and his uh, cattle, that's the problem that we all have to face is that nobody knows what's going on with Scout Motors. Nobody knows what's going on with these other manufacturing plants that's going on here because the government who's supposed to be overseeing these companies is actually in bed with mm -hmm. them because they're making money together off the backs of the taxpayers. And what I always say is, okay, when it comes down to legislators, look where they receive their money and look when they receive it. Yep. 
because it's a big key follow the money follow the money you always just have to follow the money and anybody can do it and that's something that we're even seeing in south carolina right now there are so many people getting involved because they see not only is it affecting their wallet it's affecting their livelihoods it's moving into their backyards where do you think these electric vehicle plants are moving to they're not moving to big cities they're not moving to greenville and to myrtle beach they are moving to rural areas and buying farmland thousands of acres of farmland and using that to not only bring in their workers and create their own entities but they're they're building it around neighborhoods we're all affected by it and it's just a matter of time of when it moves into your backyard but where do you go from there i've been seeing a ton of citizens who were never involved get involved because they realize this is affecting my health this is affecting my wallet and this is affecting my livelihood. And so anybody can do it, but it comes down to getting involved, going to the meetings, and just taking a few hours out of your week to see what exactly is going on because you have to be on it fast before it drops. I mean, my question has always been, what is what is this EV initiative gonna look like in South Carolina? Because I don't think it's gonna go well. And you know, it's kind of like ESGs where, you know, the big corporations are so big they don't care what you think, like for Bud Light, for example. But what's actually going to happen to what is being built? We've seen it multiple times with the Panther Stadium that we were promised that was like half built but never went through all the way. They paid tons of money for that, millions of dollars. We also saw the textile industry. There are warehouses and buildings all across South Carolina for the textile industry that were never used or they just were used for a little while. It all ran out very quickly. Why? Because there's no demand for it. Nobody wants it and nobody can, uh, it's not gonna be supported in any way, shape or form. But as we've seen, it's a bipartisan issue. It's being pushed by both sides of the aisle so it takes that's where you have to take your magnifying glass out and look a little closer because you know one citizen can do a lot just like with um, that farmer with DuPont chemical plant you know he's now dead because he died of cancer but look at what happened because he spoke up and he was relentless that's something that we have to do as well. And so, and, and that's really the main focus of this podcast is to take a little closer look into it and go a little deeper because we always know usually it's not a coincidence. And if it is, maybe you'll catch it. There's a little more to the story than meets the eye. There always is. So on that note, thank you so much for listening to our first podcast. And we are hoping to get these out at least once a week. So you'll be able to see more. And um, thank you so much for joining us today on the Magnifying Glass podcast. We delve deep, bringing the overlooked into focus, magnifying the stories that matter to you. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and share, helping us shine a light or even more discoveries. I'm your host, Elena Moore, and remember, sometimes the smallest details make the biggest difference. Until next time, keep looking closer.